0: Welcome everyone to Celtic Preacher podcast number eight and today we are looking at we're looking at second guessing yourself we're looking at regret you know it's difficult when you second guess yourself isn't it you make a decision you take a course of an of action and then in a few weeks or a few days or maybe even hours you think did I make the right decision You bought the house, or you sold the house, or you ended a relationship, or you closed the deal, or you had a conversation and you said what needed to be said, but then a few weeks later, or maybe even years later, you regret the decision that you made. I think it's pretty common. I think it's a common thing. What if I hadn't done that? what if I hadn't said that? What if I hadn't taken that course of action? Would I be better off today? Well, that's what we're looking at. We're in uh, the Old Testament. We're in Exodus 16. And it's the plight of ancient Israel. They made a decision about six weeks ago that seemed unbelievably good. Now, let me add here, this is an ancient, ancient narrative. This is hundreds and hundreds of years, the Exodus, before Jesus was even born. And we know that Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. So we're going back thousands and thousands of years. Um, So with these ancient stories, we are always looking at the patterns the way that people responded to life, the way that people respond to one another, and, and probably the most important thing is we're looking at how God responds to people. Because what we'll find when we look at these passages is is that before too long, before too long we find ourselves in the story. And when we find that we start to say, oh, I do that too. Oh, yeah. I can relate to this. I do that. And this is, of course, the big point of these stories in the Bible. That's why they've lasted for uh, thousands and thousands of years, because people can relate to them. So back to the story. Ancient Israel. They could hardly believe their good fortune about six weeks ago. They had been, for hundreds of years, slaves to the ancient Egyptians. And after about 500 years of praying and asking God for help, God raises up this leader called Moses and his brother, Anne. And I won't go into all the details of the story, but let's just say that Moses persuades the pharaoh, the ancient pharaoh, to let the people go. Yeah, reminds you of the Ten Commandments. Remember Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments? Let my people go. So at this point in the story, they are free from Egypt. They can hardly believe their good fortune. They're out in the desert and they're starting to walk to the New Promised Land. They're a nomadic people. They've got their cattle with them. They're, they're tenting. Moses is leading them. And at the beginning of the journey, they're literally singing for joy. They are composing songs about the wonders of God, about the best day of their lives when God helped them and God gave them strength and saved them from from their enemies. And it was just an amazing, wonderful thing. But that was a few weeks ago. And now the journey's getting long and it's hot It's hot in the desert, and they're tired, and they're hungry. Now, okay, you're on a journey. This is a recipe for disaster, right? You're tired, you're hungry, it's a long journey. Moses, how long is this going to take? Nobody even knows how long it's going to take. They start to talk to each other, and they have a bit of a notion for fresh produce, among other things. And, you know, it's hard to get a decent melon in the wilderness, right? And so the grumbling and the complaining begins. You can read all about it in Numbers 11. And they say, you know what? You remember when we were back in Egypt? Yeah, yeah, I remember. You remember the leeks and the cucumbers we got back there? Remember that? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, the food was great, wasn't it? The fish. Remember the fish? And it was all free, yeah, yeah, I remember that, and the, and the onions and the garlic. And, and they start to remember all this amazing, what they remember as amazing food that they had back in Egypt. And in the midst of all of this grumbling, suddenly everything seemed so much better in the old days. And they forgot all about their newfound freedom. They didn't really care about journeying on into the new land because they're hot and they're tired and they're hungry. And they start to complain. And complaining, as you know, can be contagious. Exodus verse 2 says, 16 verse 2, the whole congregation, all of them started to complain. You know how it is when you're around a couple of people who complain, everyone usually starts to join in, right? And the ancient people do what many people do when they face change or challenges or difficult circumstances. They start to idealize the past and they second guess their decision. And they start to blame Moses for their present condition. Now, all of these things are pretty common today, right? People start to idealize the past. It was so much better than pick your point in time. Second guess their decision. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I should have gone this way and start to blame others for their present condition. It's Moses' fault. Why did he lead us into this desert to die? We should have just stayed in Egypt. We should have stayed there. Now look at us. We're going to die out here. It's too hot. We're hungry. There's not enough food. We should have stayed back in Egypt. Now, interestingly enough, the scripture warns about the dangers of dwelling in the past. The ancient prophet Isaiah, this is an interesting piece of spiritual counsel. He says, Forget the former things and don't dwell on the past. That's his counsel, Isaiah. Forget the former things and don't dwell on the past. Now, the thing about the past is, maybe, when you think about your past, maybe things were better, right? Maybe they were easier in some way. Maybe there was less trouble in some way. But the prophet says, don't dwell on something that's gone, Don't dwell on something that you don't have now. Why? Why, Isaiah? Why? Well, it's because it's fantasy. It's illusion. It's not living. It's simply an inadequate way of coping with the present. It's not real. It's like the ancient people. Oh, Egypt was so much better. Was it? Actually, they they forgot the hardship. They were not happy when they were slaves. They have... Selective memory. Not a helpful practice, Isaiah says. Why? Well, because God is doing a new thing today. And if you're looking back, you'll not see what God is doing today. Can you miss what God is doing? Yeah. Yeah, the scripture would say. Can you not notice what you have now? Yes. Uh, Can you be oblivious to God's good gifts now? Yes, yeah. I mean, we know people like this. They're always complaining. There's always something wrong. Um, Guaranteed, there's always something wrong because they've gotten into that pattern of Always looking for something other than what life is giving them today. And a second response we see here that's really common is, equally unhelpful, is this habit of blaming. Two unhelpful ways of coping, really, with life's challenges. Looking back. And then the second thing we see the ancient people do is blaming. Now, blaming is another insidious habit that can creep into our lives. In fact, all of these unhelpful habits, the grumbling, the complaining, the looking back to the past and the blaming, they kind of creep up on you, right? No one sets out with the goal, I think I'll blame everyone and everything for all my troubles. You know, no, no one sets out to be this kind of person. These things creep up on you over the years, They are the end result of an unreflective, unaware life, right? Now, fortunately, the thing about being unaware is, (laughs) we'll see here, God's forever giving us opportunities to break out of this peculiar kind of prison, uh, blaming God's people in the wilderness. When life got hard, they say, well, it's his fault. And then they point to Moses. You'll kill us, they say to him. We're all going to die out here. We should have stayed in Egypt. We're not going to listen to you. Now, there's a hundred, hundred ways to blame. A thousand ways to blame. I wouldn't have lost my temper if you hadn't done that. You made me lose my temper. Or I only took this job because you wanted me to. It's, it's not my fault I'm, I'm never here. I'm, I'm working. I'm trying to provide for the family. I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing to provide for you. You know, It's blaming. I'm stressed out. I'm tired out. That's why I snapped at you. It's not my fault. It's because I'm stressed out and I'm tired. Well, that's a slight maneuver that really keeps me from taking responsibility for myself and my actions, right? It's always about someone else. It's the people I work with. It's the unreasonable family member. It's the silent, moody spouse. Of course, I'm depressed living with that, yeah? You'd be angry too if you had to live with us, right? It's always somebody else's fault. And maybe it's not a person. It can be uh, the management or the government, or the board you know blame is always deflected responsibility is deflected off it's not me it's not me so a big part of spiritual growth is to is to learn how to stand up in our own power and take responsi- take responsibility for for what we can do today rather than blame or mope or criticize or complain it's like okay I don't really care for this situation this is kind of like the hard cry this is the prayer is there anything at all I can do is there anything that I can do to help this in some way Even if I feel like I haven't made the right decision or maybe if I could do things all over again, I would do things differently. It's like, well, okay, let's just start today. Is there anything, anything I can do at all that would help in some way? If I put blame to the side and my prayer is, my heart cry is, God, is there anything I can do to help you from this point on? Is there a small step I can take? Have that. Have that as a prayer for a few weeks and see what comes to you. And, you know, when we're talking about prayer, I think it's more helpful to think in terms of weeks and months and years rather than uh, hours and days. I think people would get very discouraged quickly when it's like, well, yeah, yeah, I did pray about that yesterday afternoon, nothing changed. Yeah, well, that's normal. It takes a long time to sit with something. It takes a long time. And it's just see what comes. But the big thing is, is to recognize the blame, recognize that I'm doing it. That's the big piece. And put it to the side just for some time. And then, then the heart cry is, Is there anything else? Is there something you would have me do here? Is there a helpful thing? Is there a step, something, that you would have me do here, God? And see what comes to you. See what just drops in. So anyway, back to ancient people. So there they are. They're complaining. They're blaming. They're regretting their decision to follow Moses. And the passage tells us that God hears all their complaints God hears all their worries and their anxieties and unbelief. And in the midst of all of this grumbling, God speaks to Moses. And God sees that the people are worried about food. So God says to Moses, okay, here's the thing. I'm hearing all these complaints, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give... These people an opportunity to trust me. I am going to rain down bread from heaven. So, Moses, tell the people this. Tell the people to take what they need. I don't want any hoarding. When they get up in the morning and they open up their tent flap and they look outside, I want them to take the bread that they need for the day. And at night, I'm going to send quail into the camp for meat. And I'm going to test them, God says. And I'm going to see if they will follow my instructions. Now, remember last week, I spoke to you a little bit about this whole idea of testing in the scripture. And again, the testing, by recap, never reveals anything to God, right? We looked at this last week. Tests, uh, challenging things in life, uh, things that we think are a little bit too difficult in some way, any kind of hardship. Okay, the tests reveal things to us. God doesn't need to test us to know what's going on inside of us, right? God is holding the whole thing together right? And him we live and move and have our being. So the test is never for God's sake. It's on God's look and thinking, I wonder what she's going to do if this happens. I wonder how she'll respond. Oh, really? She responded that? No. The test is always for us. So God says a couple uh, interesting things here worth noting. First, he says, God says, I'm going to send them bread and I'm going to send quail and every day I'm going to provide. So God doesn't ignore their complaining or tell them to snap out of it. God doesn't correct them. God listens. God hears. And this is the part that's kind of encouraging. God meets them where they are. And the reason that this encouraging is is because if I'm a mess and if I'm not doing well and if I am blaming... And if I am complaining, whatever state I'm in, this is the amazing thing about the Scripture. It just turns everything on its head. God pursues me and meets me. Isn't that a wonderful thing? It's like, okay, God says, "I'm going to give you an opportunity to trust me." I hear, I hear what you're saying. I hear you cries. I hear you complaining. I know you think it's too challenging. I'm going to give you an opportunity to trust me. And the opportunity involves following instruction. It's about going out every morning and picking up the bread for the day and for the day only. Okay, talk about one day at a time, right? Well, sure enough... The next again morning, the people look out of their tents, and there on the ground is this flaky white disc. What is it, they say, which interestingly enough in Hebrew is manna? Manna? It's like, what is it? It's got to be this bread. It's got to be this bread that Moses said God would give us. And sure enough, in the evening... The quail arrived, flew into the camp, just as promised, and every day this provision came. And every day the people had to do their part and pick up only what they needed. So the instruction was take only what you need, just take it for the day. Did everyone listen? Well, we know, we kind of, we, we know human nature, right? No, not everyone listened because some had trouble trusting. So they took extra and they kept it overnight. It's like, well, why'd you do that? God says you only had to pick it up each day. Well, what if, what if nothing happens tomorrow? I don't know, what if God changes God's mind? What if it does? it's not there? I, I have to look after myself. Well, Okay. So they picked up double and they looked, next again morning, it's covered in maggots. Covered in maggots. Now, again, it's not really surprising to us that some picked up double. You know, because it's really hard to trust, isn't it? What if it's a fluke? What if God changes God's mind? What if, what if? I better take more. Turns to maggots. Well, one way to read this is is that you know when we're in a place of need, or when we're in the desert. There's a lovely image too. Just anything that's dry and hot and uncomfortable, and when we're hungry for something, when we're fearful, when we're isolated, when we're lacking, when we're worried, you know, we only get what we need. For the day, for the moment. It's the way the spiritual life is. I mean, we, we tend to want the future more secure. We're like the ancient people. Well, I'll take double today just to make sure. Well, of course, the principle, the spiritual principle is you can't. You can't. It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The instruction is, will you trust me for today? with you. I'm not going to leave you in the desert to die, God's saying. I'm not going to leave you in the desert to die. Now, will you trust me with this? Well, what about next week? No, 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 no. We're not going to go there. Will you trust me now? Well, what if I made the wrong decision? Well, let's start from today. Will you trust me now? What is it going to be? Is it going to be manna or is it going to be maggots? Because that's the choice. And there's always a fair piece of choice in the spiritual life. Nobody forces us to do anything. Whether it's blaming, whether it's second-guessing ourselves, whether it's being worried about the future, whether it's regretting a decision, God is forever reminding us, forever pursuing us, now I'm here, I'm with you. Will you trust me with this from this point on? Yeah. It's it's our life's journey, isn't it? It's our life's journey. This whole business of learning to trust, not living in the past, not projecting all our fears onto the future. Jesus called this abundant life. He called this truly living. He says, it's about joy, you know, Jesus said. It's all about joy. You know, I came... To help you access joy Apparently we have a lot of trouble accessing joy But this is the life's journey Learning to trust Thank you for joining me today As we have been looking at our ancient forefathers and mothers in the desert Complaining, yes, we can relate Yeah, we can relate to them And what an amazing God What an amazing God to, to come after us rescuing us time and time again time and time again rescuing us from ourselves what can we say but thank you what can we say but thank you join with me next week for another episode of Celtic Preacher